Welcome to an in-focus edition of On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I've been increasingly curious about student success across higher education, how it has changed, and what institutions are doing to engage and retain a new generation of learner. I'd like to thank the folks at NAC for bringing this conversation together. I encourage you to go to joinnac.com where you can capitalize on your NACs and make the most of your skills by helping your peers. Now, on to the episode. Okay, let's have a conversation about students and students that are really the next generation of uh, professional that we're hoping will help us to settle a uh, an unsettling world at times. And uh, I wanted to dive into the conversation with Dr. Mona Davenport. She's the Dean of Student Success at Eastern Illinois University. And yes, we did talk about weather because I'm a Midwesterner and uh, Mona and I were talking about that. So trying to evaluate what's cold and what's not these days. Um, Mona, but what we do know is hot is the conversation around really what is success and what it can look like for students. Can you give a bit of a state of the union as to what college students are actually looking for, not just kind of what we're thinking from our perspective, our vantage points in student success offices and universities, but what are students asking for? I think what our students want is a way in which they can make life um, equitable. Okay. Um, I think they want to be able to leave this institution or whatever institution they attend and have a future that would be comfortable and um, rewarding. We know with our Gen Zers, they are all about service. They're all about you know, what they can do in the public. And so, you know, again, thanks to, to social media, but I think they want a life that is comfortable. For some, it's a comfort they've never seen before, but for those that are not the first in their families to go to college, it's just to continue on on what they're used to. And, and so it's it's two different worlds that now, because we have so much access, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to get everyone in that same playing field for us. So when I say student success, that means anybody that comes in this institution is gonna graduate regardless to if you are a student of color, if you are the first in your family to go to college, if you are a second generation, we want you to get your degree, to leave, to be wealthy, and give back to the institution so we can continue to do what we do at the level that we do it. This is not your first rodeo. You're really good. <laughs> We're going to have part two and part three of this podcast. Um, So talk with me a little bit about the, the change in perspective from the pandemic when we had, you know, remote, online, we had sort of hybrids, we've had all these different ways in which it's, I think it's actually informed the consumer being the student that, wow, I can learn in different ways. I can learn in different environments. And if that's the case, then maybe I'm going to have a different set of questions and or request and or additionally ways in which I'm going to evaluate my university and how they are supporting me. What was that like maybe how or how is it still going in the adjustment in your within your office and maybe the university at a, on a larger scale to support kind of a new subset of student yeah um well i want to be very honest um covid did some good believe it or not covid gave us new options in which how we need to function as an institution one is online right 
Um, since COVID, I think a lot of institutions now are increasing their number of programs that they have online because they know it can be done. Um, but it also had us learn a lot. You look at those courses where you have labs, you look at those, you know, biological science, chemistry, all of those. How do we do that in a in an internet world, right? So COVID taught us how to do that. I want to be honest. Look at this, the meeting that we're having right now. Um, I want to look at even all of my staff. We literally probably do more Teams and Zoom meetings than before because it it gives us more time to do what we need to do to help our students. It now, kind of for, that, didn't it, real, did, real quickly, didn't it kind of it kind of forced us yeah. to solve the problem? We couldn't exactly. use sort of duct tape or or exactly. Windex or, or something right? Exactly. Right? like just sort of wipe it away or patch it together. We had to come up with a solution. We didn't have That's time. Right. We literally had to do it. But now there's bad to it. The bad to it is I don't think online is good for everyone, right? The bad is when you're in developmental ages or, or, or grades, it is not inducive to a successful student. Although I believe in, I went through undergraduate, a master's degree and a PhD and never took an online course before because I knew what I was capable of and what I wanted. I needed that structure. I needed somebody to sit down and tell me this is when it's due. I need somebody to explain to me what it is in this chapter that I need to talk about. So I'm talking from a, a, a person that has not done online before. I teach one now, which has been somewhat challenging as well. But I think the bad part in it is depending on when you start going through this process, COVID has hurt a lot of institutions in higher ed when it comes to retention and enrollment, because now, you know, we're, we're, we're having to reteach things that normally we don't have to reteach or we have to go through processes that we never had to do before. And I don't think the online was good for the primary ages. So to me, if you go through a regular, you know, elementary school, high school, you get all of the skills you need, you get here your freshman year, you're taking your classes. I think online works for upper upperclassmen. I think it's a plus. If you're a junior and a senior, you've already experienced what you need to know and how you need to know it. And you're pretty much in your major. So you're working on one, things that you're passionate about, you know, and, and you can easily do what you have to do and adapt. Freshmen, on the other hand, it's hard. They don't know anything. 2021 was rough. The one thing I really give a lot of credit to our institution for is COVID came in March. We were open full stream in August. We did not do like a lot of other institutions and stay remote. One is you have to know who you are. So the population of students that we have, we wanted to make sure that they had the internet. We wanted to make sure that they had that access to the library. We wanted to make sure that they had three meals a day. And so again, it was good for us. We still have remote classes, but they were in an atmosphere that we knew that they were going to get what they needed. And that was what was key. So for those students that started their freshman year, just say they were the first in their families to go to college. Those students, I don't know what that retention rate is for them, you know, because it was such a a shocking experience. And even an upheaval, now, right? An upheaval. Yeah, even now, two years later, you know, we have students that we're trying to to teach social skills. They have been locked down, <laughs> you know, for so long that it was like now, I, even when I, and I, I, I have, as a dean, I, I do two days in the residence hall. Our housing office gave me an office over there so I can get that interaction with them. Um, and 
I see so many students that just get their lunch and take it up to their room because they either up there gaming, they either, you know, looking on their phone, you know, I think there are some pluses and some negatives that we have encountered over the years, but I think we're learning from it as institutions because we're now trying to, to, to mesh them all together now. And it seems like, Mona, that we've also, to your point about a silver lining and what we've learned through going through the pandemic, is also understanding that there are different ways to both teach and to learn and that there are services out there that we used to think, oh, that's so nice. Mm -hmm. Like tutoring is such a great example because it's exploding around the world. Okay. You know, that used to be sort of a nice to have or a way to, as a, it served almost as a backstop, like, uh oh. Mona or Rod are having a little bit of issue with this one subject. Let's just sort of, let's get a Band-Aid and get, <laughs> stop right. the bleeding, right? That's but right. now we're going, no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> this can actually be incredibly accretive to what we're doing and supportive of a student in a way that meets them in that personalized fashion. Yes. And it's it's not this one box fits all. That's correct. How have you seen the experience of tutoring or the offering change over time with your university and even your professional colleagues at universities around you? Well, you know, I'm a proponent of, of NAC. And so trying to find resources that are going to be good for our students. Again, we're looking at a population of students, probably 70% or more of our students are, are um, financial aid eligible, right? So you're talking about a group that comes to college that sometimes has to get their job outside of going to class every day. Now, some of them work a little bit more than I I think they should, but again, because of what they want and what they're used to having, they they want to work more. So when we at institutions have tutors, and traditionally the way we have tutors available is we hire students to sit in a room and to, to tutor students that come in that want help. Now, what are the rates of students that actually show up, and especially those students that have been through COVID, okay? They already lack the social skills. You know, they don't have to me some of the critical thinking that, you know, is needed to say, okay, you know what, I'm not good doing good in this class. I need to go find somebody to help. So I think the traditional tutoring is eventually going to disappear. One is you're we're not gonna be able to afford to keep paying somebody to sit in the room and nobody comes in, right? Two is the times that we're offering it with students working more hours, are they able to go to class, get personal wellness, work a job, and then sit in a, in a room to get tutored? No. And so in the world of tutoring, the reason why I think NAC is so good is because you have the availability to tutor when you want, okay? You, you, you can do it when it's convenient for you. The other thing is we're only paying when they tutor. And so it's a big difference than having somebody sitting here to say that, no, we offer tutoring for our students. Well, you tell me how often those tutors are being used. You ask me, you know, what are you spending annually to keep that room filled with the person sitting in there? And so just to be able to think outside of the box, we as institutions, we have to, 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 to get with the, the group. We have to start thinking the way we want to be successful as an institution, but also still be able to help our students, because again, COVID, you lost those social skills. So even as a, a, a dean of student success, the meeting I had prior to us getting together is, okay, we're going to do a student success week. So now we're going to find a week where we're going to the residence halls. We're now having to reach our students, which previously we want them to come to our office and that's it. And so just being innovative in tutoring is going to be the same way. 
we got to reach them where they are and we have to be able to allow them to, to, to get tutored when they are able to get tutored. This conversation has been supported by our friends at NAC. Go to joinnac.com to capitalize on your NACs. Now, back to the show. I love that. I love that. I hope people picked up on that. What a subtle shift and a powerful one to say, you know, used to it would be, you'd be like asking me to come to your office. That's right. right. And, and that already sets up this relationship that feels a little bit potentially more like DMV doctor's office. You know, that's right. right. That's right. That's, that, right. that's what they say behind the scenes, right? And, but that subtle shift to say, you know what, why don't we meet them where they are? It right. changes the relationship. And, and, and to your point about NAC and tutoring, it is around personalized learning. And, and I would actually say, you tell me if I'm wrong, it's more about personalized experience and learning is a part of that. Your social environment, right? So it's about the experience. Learning isn't in a vacuum. We definitely have learned that. Right. But I do think that that's one of the challenges that we have. You got to remember, our higher ed institutions have been in, 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 in the mix for hundreds and hundreds of years. So you cannot have specific areas that are buying into the new way. We have to get everybody on campus to be all in, right? <laughs> and do. that is where, you know, we sometimes get challenged because, you know, if you are that 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 expert in a particular field and your pedagogy is always, you know, you know, a certain way, taught a certain way, we're even finding ourselves how to to teach differently, right? Um, and and it it is, and I think COVID started that trend that's helping us understand that now we have to change what we do. Previously, you know, we always know who to go to for specific classes, who are open, but now we're making it where everybody has to do that if they have to get to the students. And it, doesn't it change the approach? And you you're a professor, so doesn't it change even the way you think about? not only the relationship you have with students, but the way in which you communicate information and learning. I mean, it, that's, that's I, look, like a, I think a side benefit is it does sort of force those that are at the lectern or at the head of the Zoom kind of a thing to, I don't know, shake things up a little bit, think differently about the way in which they're communicating. I would yeah. think that only good can come from that. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. I mean, I literally, like I have group meets for my class. I text, you know, updates, you know, and even though we have systems now, like here, we use a, a D2L where they can go in and get the syllabi and get everything that they need off of there. But it's still, if I send a, a reminder in a text, I'll, automatically I get a response, you know. And so I even do things, <laughs> some things that are funny. I have one class, a freshman seminar class. I said, I will give you a hundred points if you can bring your phone in in the morning, eight o'clock, drop it off and then pick it up when I get ready to get off. I've not had one taker for it yet. It was Not like, we couldn't one. do that for a whole day. I, I said, but I'm going to challenge you because these are things that we got to practice doing. But it yeah. is something. They can't do it. So they live on this thing right here. They live on it. And, and the irony is you said there, that phone is right in there in your hand, Mona. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. I just exposed the I truth. Tell <laughs> I tell them because when we go into class now, I said, okay, you all see my phone. I'm flipping it over. And they know that the phone has to go down and they know that mine is too, because I'm just, I'm on it just like them. Because again, we've adapted and we do those things to make it easier for communication. And I think it works 200% for our students. 
You know, what I love is that I think people's perception of higher ed sometimes the, the the pessimist or the the cynic is it's it's you know it's sort of old school and it doesn't have a ton of energy. And you are the exact opposite of that. You're, I mean, you're a champion for the students. That's my experience that's of you. Is that fair? Yes, that's that's my job, and that's what I tell them. And I, I even go through the whole thing. Is like I'm like you have to come to class. I said I want to see you, and I want to make sure. And that's why I do. <laughs> The residence house is like, I yeah. cannot get into a point like today. I've been in meetings since eight o'clock this morning. And so it'll be like, okay, so now at lunch, we're going to go out and I eat in the residence hall. It's like, because they have to see us. I think the other um, disadvantage to um, just working one with our first generations, our low income, our ethnic minority students is they're not used to that, that conversation with folks that they do. They don't call me Dr. Davenport. A lot of them still just like, okay, we'll call you Dr. D. You know, or but I, I I prefer Mona. I said, you know, I want you to be able to 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 talk to me, have those conversations. When I'm in the residence house, I'm pulling them in. Come here, how your class is going? And so it's hard, you know, because you have so many students that you want to do this with, and everybody is not responsive. But I think it's COVID has made it where a lot of my staff and I I'm over academic advising, student success center, trio program. Um, disability services and testing. And they know now that in order for us to do our job, we're going to have to reach the student. I mean, this is, to me, it's a definition of of equitable access, right. right? I mean, you're leveling the playing field in a way that says, just because I'm the dean does not mean that I'm sitting in the ivory tower. This is, Amen. it does take a village, right? And if that's there was right. one, there was one Madonna, there's one Mona. And that's my- <laughs> <laughs> No, but again, and I mean, there, there are lots of Monas out there though. There, there, there yeah. really are. Champions. And especially those that are passionate about it. I have been in this game for 32 years. Can you believe that? 32. And so it it is something, but you have to do it. And I tell everybody all of the time, you know, is I, I was blessed, you know, and I tell them I'm privileged. You know, both parents have degrees. You know, I have a PhD. My little brother has a PhD. Education was who we are. Right. And and I think what happens is when I started to look at my dissertation, because I looked at first gen versus Latino and um, I did Latinx and African-American students, because those were the ones that I worked with originally when I first started in higher ed that, that were challenged with what it is that, you know, they have to do to be successful to be here. And so, you know, from there, it just has become a love in, oh my God, we got to help everybody. We have to be able to do what we can to do it. And my staff will tell you, because I'm hard, you know, I said, I'm a workaholic. I don't expect you to be like me, but I do expect you to devote your time to what we have to do to make it better for our students. And so it is, it's, it's a, philosophy that I have, my predecessor that um, I took her place, that was her thing. It takes a village. And I mean, literally, you know, we're trying to do it, you know, student by student um, here at Eastern. And so I do, I love it. I, I love what I do. And I, I think that, you know, COVID has even had me transform what I do and the way I do it. So let, let's wrap the conversation on this. So I'm so glad you brought that up just in the impact it's had on you, but let's talk about personally if you and you talked about your family and connection to education and sort of that deep connectedness um if you were to paint a picture about the what education means to you not not the dean but but dr mona davenport the human being the citizen the community member um it would probably be that you know i would love to know that every student that i've had contact with is a better person now um, I, I I want to believe that even if they left here without a degree, 
um, that there was something that they learned on what it is to be a, a successful student. I love my job. I love what I do, but I, I think I thrive off of that email that I get that says, oh my God, let me tell you what I'm doing now. Or, <laughs> you know, when I, I, I've never missed a graduation here, except for one time when my mom passed and we had our funeral that weekend. But, you know, I will go to that graduation just so I will be there to see those students that I saw, you know, when they walked in here as an incoming freshman. So I think for me, it's just rewarding to be able to know that you have molded some minds and and literally helped some students. Well, what a, what a pleasure to spend some time with you, Mona. You are a fantastic example, a lighthouse example of what we want as parents and when we send our kids off in that regard. And just as I think as community members that want to make sure that we are supporting the pipeline of, of talent, innovation uh, and community, where can prospective students, where should people go to learn more about the university? Oh, literally. I mean, we have recruiters that are all over the world. Um, we got our first, our next open house is coming up um, on November 11th. But I mean, check out the website, you know, um, www.eiu.edu. Um, we literally um, work, we're all in. And, you know, that is our president's um, logo. We all want to make sure that everyone that comes in, we're a first gen forward institution, which means we've gone through um, who we have here and what we do to help. You know, our faculty wear first gen shirts. I mean, it's just it's an institution, I think, that um, thrives to make sure that the students that come here are successful. Well, as the young people say to me and, and to others, keep crushing it. You are uh, you're a good one, Mona. I hope the next time is where we can have a cup of coffee there in uh, in uh, in Illinois. But keep 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 doing what you're doing. It means a lot to so many out there and the first gens like you're talking about. It's it's so important. It's been a pleasure. We want to thank Dr. Mona Davenport. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.